So we're in a series of messages that I've entitled Grace and Truth. Simply put, grace for our fellow sinners, right? And truth to help us all back to God and God's ways uh, and His blessing. Amen? Because as James says, we all stumble in many ways, right? We all have areas of weakness and things that we struggle with um, to do the right thing. Right, don't we? We all have areas of brokenness where we need the Lord's, uh, the great physician's healing touch in our lives. Right? We need His strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We all need to understand our identity in Christ, um, who we are as redeemed children of God, so that we can live our lives by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. None of us, you know, does this alone, do we? So, um, I've been feeling for some time the need to address God's design for marriage and human sexuality because, as you know, there's been a, a shifting in our culture in the last few years. Um, at least, the, um, uh, what our society is being, um, I guess, the term indoctrinated with over the last... Uh, several years, an ideology of what is right and wrong and normative, um, an ideology that's moving further and further away from biblical truth, from the designs that our benevolent creator set down uh, for our greatest well-being. And as you know, and I know from personal history, from biblical history, and from world history, when we veer off of God's designs, what happens? We get into trouble, don't we? Yeah. And we've talked about this concept before. Um, why does God call anything sin? Right? Why does he call anything sin? Because it hurts those that he loves. Think about it. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. What does any of those human things do to God? Nothing. Right? He, is, he is still almighty, all-powerful. Uh, none of what we do to one another affects him in the slightest. Right? It affects us. Um, if, even if we look at the, pagan, the old pagan religions and see what they did as part of their worship and everything, many of them didn't have much of a moral code at all involved in their worship and they could worship their God just fine. They could carry on their religion just fine even without a sense of morality. So none of these things, um, it, it's not about you and I conforming to some religion, to some set of standards uh, in, in order to properly worship God. Uh, it's it's the creator of human beings set down designs for us for our ultimate good, didn't he? It's not, a, it's not a, a fence to keep us out of greener pastures, so to speak. It's a guardrail on the edge of a cliff, and God has given us, he's given us his wisdom, his loving wisdom, right? His designs for our well-being. One of my main job descriptions comes from the book of Ephesians. 
that pastors are given to the church. Uh, I'll read it to you here. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood and womanhood, to the measure of the statue stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, the, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So what am I here doing? I am speaking the truth in love. Lest we as Christians... We as the church stray from that truth that's in the Word of God given to us for our well-being. Uh, being led astray by uh, human ideologies that uh, don't line up with God's Word and therefore do not come from Him, right? So we've talked about truth um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, most intently looking at truth as coming from this reliable, authoritative, accurate Word of God that we hold. This is where we get our truth from. This is um, God's wisdom for us, miraculously uh, inspired and preserved for us. And we've talked about this area of human sexuality and how we, we see one pattern all the way through Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus himself quoting, saying that God in the beginning created them, male and female, and a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two of them shall be one flesh. That is God's design for humanity. That is the foundation for marriage, for family, for society, right? all the way through Scripture, one, one option set by God himself. So here we are then, assuming that we take God's word for it, right? Assuming that we are wanting to build our beliefs, our worldview, our values upon that word of God. And yet, you and I interact with people every day, um, maybe in our families, maybe on our jobs, uh, in schools, on digital platforms, uh, whose beliefs are not based in the Word of God, who sometimes even openly challenge uh, God and His Word. And so, what do we do? What do we do? We know the truth, we have the truth, we want to live the truth, but we live in a world that's going against the truth. What do we do? How do we hold to truth as God calls us to and yet love people who don't as God also calls us to? This is the tightrope that you and I must walk as Christians today, and it's not an easy one by any means. Fortunately for us, God came to earth, wrapped himself in human flesh, and has given us an example to follow. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad for Jesus? Turn with me to John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 4. I want to begin at verse 7. 
And the Bible says this, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Let me give you some important background uh, on this uh, account in Scripture. Uh, as it says, good Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. The Samaritans um, were, were people gathered, when, when one country would conquer another, so that you wouldn't have, um, um, people, let, let's say over in Europe, okay? If, if uh, somebody went in and conquered all of Europe, you wouldn't leave all the people from England in one spot because they all know each other and they could rise up and create a problem. So they would take people from England and France and Germany and this and that and the other, and they'd mix them all around, right? Spread them all around. They were, they were displaced. So in this, this area of Samaria, you had Jews, right, that, that were there, but you also had peoples from all over the world, and they all had different religions, and the Samaritans as a, as a whole um, created this religion of multifaceted kind of thing. They, they believed in the Lord on the one hand, but in all these false gods on the other hand. So because of this, the Jews looked at them as worse than pagans. They were worse than just somebody who had another religion. They had God Almighty plus all these other things. So they were apostates. They were, they were hated. Uh, they, they were worse than pagans, right? They, they were to be avoided. So Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Um, as a matter of fact, when Jesus told his disciples, hey, I want to go through Samaria, they're, in, in essence, they're like, what, what, do you, what, what are you talking about? You, you want to go through? No, we always go around Samaria when, we, when, you know, when we're heading north. We, uh, we, we don't go through there, right? I mean, you're talking, we're going around, right? Jesus says, no, I want to go through. It's, it's like even walking through Samaria would defile them. They would get, you know the dust of Samaria on their feet and they would become unclean. That's how much they hated this people group. So um, this was the prevailing Jewish attitude in the time. So this woman was part of that group, right? Plus, as we'll see a little bit later on, she was also clearly living in a sinful lifestyle. The first thing that you and I need to see is that Jesus by the will of the Father and the leading of the Holy Spirit makes a point of going to that place to talk to that woman. A woman that, that the whole nation of Israel would have written off, wouldn't gone through with a 10-foot pole in a million years. Jesus says, no, here is somebody who is worth my time and attention. Hmm. What was he showing us? That when it comes to being an ambassador of God's love in this world, as we're called to be as Christians, there is no group and there is no person that is not worthy of our time and attention. Care what they, what they do, what they look like, right? 
There, there, there are people, um, and I've, I've had discussions with, with other you know, people on this. There's people that, that when I see, I have a tendency to judge. Anybody else? You know, you just you size them up, and, and they, they don't look like I do. They, they dress different and everything from, from me. And, and, I, and I have to go, whoa, wait a minute, Lord, I'm doing it again. Forgive me. Here is a person for whom Christ died. Right? They're, they're every bit as worthy of, of your love and my love as any other human being. Right? So, um, no group, no person that's less worthy of our time and attention than anyone else. Jesus, think about it. Jesus lived his whole earthly life among a people who were personally turned off by another group's lifestyle choice. Is that true? His whole life he lived in this attitude. But he, um, he did not internalize those human attitudes. What did he internalize? He internalized his higher calling. John 3.16 and 17, you know it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The next verse, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That which overrode everything else for Jesus was the salvation of souls. Amen? And we who have received God's forgiveness and grace should embrace that high call to be channels of that forgiveness and grace wherever we go, whoever we interact with. This is a soul precious to Jesus. And if they're precious to Jesus, they should be precious to me. Paul makes this statement I think it's in Corinthians, um, that says, and therefore we look at no man after the flesh. Right? We're not judging people on, on what, what group or what they look like or any fleshly thing. What are we judging people? Here is someone for whom Christ died. Here is a precious human being created in the image of God. That's the attitude. That's the attitude. So one... Uh, what Jesus teaches us, no one unworthy of our time and attention. Secondly, Jesus treated her with kindness and respect. You may not get this from our translation of verse 7, where Jesus simply says, give me a drink, you know. I mean, you could, you could add your own, give me a drink, you know, uh, which any, well, Jew wouldn't have, would, actually wouldn't even have said that, um, but you got to trust me here that between the Greek words and the culture of the day, it, it was a polite request. Okay, she wasn't upset about that at all. But, but what she was clearly blown away with is, you, a Jew, would ask me? See, he didn't tell her, he didn't command her. Would ask me for a drink? Me, a Samaritan, right? That blew her away, that he would take that extra, go the extra mile for her. So he treated her with value. Okay. Thirdly, and this is kind of a two-parter, did you see that Jesus established a connection with her over common ground? Common ground, their need of water, 
right? He was thirsty, she was thirsty. There they were at, at a well together. Um, you see, we're not focusing on differences. We're going to have differences. Even in the church we have differences, right? But we're not focusing on differences. We're focusing on commonalities, whether that's work, whether that's school, whether that's hobbies, whatever it is, right? Focusing with people on common things, establishing rapport, building relationship. And notice, too, that Jesus ministered to this person, how? One-on-one. -on -one. It, 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 it was convenient um, for Jesus to send all the disciples away to get food for 13 people. I mean, how many, how many people do you need to carry you know, all this food? But he sent them all away so that he could be one-on-one -on -one with this person. And why is that important? Because number one, you don't want anybody to feel ganged up on, right, on the one hand, or to be influenced by another group on another hand. So it's two people having a conversation. Two people having a conversation. And what was the focus of that conversation? The ills of Samaritanism? Why their history was all wrong and this, that, and the other? No, not at all. Look at it again. Verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Notice that Jesus says nothing at this point, nothing about her ethnicity, about her lifestyle, anything. What he does talk about is the difference that the Holy Spirit can make in her life. What he does talk about is the free love of God. What he does talk about is a God who offers her a relationship with himself that has nothing to do with anything else but who she is as a human being of worth and value, right? That's the focus of the conversation. It's not sin, it's salvation. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and giving to us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Not the ministry of moral enforcement. Not the ministry of debate. Not the ministry of shame. The ministry of reconciliation. We are trying to bring two entities together, a human being and the God that they don't know. That's the focus. That's the goal. Right? That's what it's all about. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, verse 20 says, God making His appeal through us. What is the conversation all about? God appealing to someone, I want you to know me. I love you. I want you to know me. I want to be in a relationship with you. That's what it's all about. It's not our job to convince anybody that they're wrong. We have the truth. We know the truth is. But remember, we don't weaponize it. We don't hit people over the head with it. Our job is to introduce people to Jesus Christ. 
all people that don't know him. Right? That's what it's all about. A relationship with God that will meet their innermost needs for unconditional love, self-worth, acceptance, inner peace, hope, which not a lot of people have if they will be honest and admit. They may be living the life of Riley, as we used to say, but inner peace, no. Still that restlessness in their heart, still something missing. And here it is. It's a relationship with the Creator who loves you right where you are. Right where you are. And, and we don't want to, to come across that, that, that we love where you could be. <laughs> God loves them where they are. We love them where they are. Because none of us have arrived either. Amen? So, reconciliation with God. That's the thing that results in new birth and transformation. That's what every single one of us needs, coming out of darkness into the light. We need to be reconciled with God. We need, through faith in Christ, to connect with Him, to be born again. And then that transformation process begins in our hearts. It's a transformation process that I'm still in. How about you? And unless anybody has arrived here, anyone? No? Okay. So we're all in that process. We all came from darkness. We all come into the light. And we're all being transformed, Corinthians says, from glory to glory to glory. And so we have a, a world around us that can be at times hostile to what we believe. Hostile towards us because we believe it. But what is our goal? What are, how do we do this thing? Not, you know, we, 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 we don't come this way. We come with arms open with a message of love and grace. I want to pick this up again because there's more to the story. But what have we seen so far? That yes, we know what God's design is. A lot of areas of life, right? We believe it, we stand on it, we build our lives on it, and we interact with people every day all over the spectrum on all kinds of issues, in various places of beliefs, identity, lifestyle. How do we interact with them to the glory of God? We follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. One, we understand that above our personal feelings, our personal judgments, right, or what anyone else is involved in, the important thing is what Jesus gave his life for is that people understand that He loves them and wants a relationship with them and they can be reconciled to Him through Jesus Christ. Number two, we treat all people with kindness, respect, and value. Number three, we seek to connect with people over commonalities, probably over the course of time, and interact with them 
one-on-one, one-on-one. And number four, the main focus of those conversations is not right and wrong. The main focus of those conversations is the free grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's how we do it. Two parting thoughts as I close. One is we do our best and and leave the results up to God. Not everyone is going to respond in kind. Not everyone is is going to receive what we have to offer. But again, um, we, we keep the lines of communications open the best we can and love people the best we can and just just keep moving. Just keep moving. Um, number two, it's not mentioned here in, in this passage, but Jesus bathed everything that he did in prayer. Right? Especially when we know that, that we have an opportunity for a conversation. Bathe it in prayer. But bathing ourselves in prayer every, every day. You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, we're praying, God, lead me, guide me by your spirit in all that I do. Right? Being, being prayed up, as we used to say. Because uh, you never know who we're going to interact with in a day. Someone who needs the love and grace of God in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for finding us. <laughs> Somehow, Lord, through somebody, we heard the gospel. Somehow, Lord, we've, we've, we've come into this grace in which we stand. We, we, were, uh, we were in the world. We were in darkness. We were separated from you. We were destined for an eternity without God. Forever and ever. And your word of love and grace came to us. And we thank you for that. So, Lord, help us to be channels of that love and grace to people all around us in this world, to value, to see people as precious to you and to us, and to reach with your love everywhere and anywhere we possibly can. We thank you for that, Lord. Help us by your Holy Spirit, we pray.